0: Well, good morning, One Church. What's up? My name is Carlo. I get to be one of the teaching pastors here. I'm so glad that you are with us. If this is your first time or first time in a long time, welcome to those watching over in the video venue or streaming online live right now or even later in the week. We're so glad that you've chosen to connect with OneChurch.tv. Last week, Pastor Chris talked about uh, community for part two of our This Is Us series, and so we're going to be in part three looking at uh, one of my favorite core values Uh, of OneChurch.tv, and that is Save People, Serve People, and we'll be in uh, Matthew 14 in the New Testament, and we'll get there in a little bit. This series is really all about the core values, the statements that we hold true as a church based on the scripture that really uh, define, not just define who we are, but they give us a target to shoot for for who we want to be. And so we learned last week that we are better together, that we can go farther faster when we do life together. So thank you to all of you who signed up for a small group. We had a lot of new groups launch, some new group leaders that I'm excited about that are stepping up and serving in small groups. Make sure you get connected if you are not connected. And again, we're going to talk about save people, serve people this week. There, There's a, a war that wages in my home on a consistent basis. No matter how good things are going at work or in the lives of our children, there is one subject that always raises blood pressure, It always gets us fired up. And that is, it causes a significant emotional event, really, when we get to battling about this issue. And it's the the topic of chores. Chores. I hate chores. I like to be somewhat neat and tidy, you know, keep my office clean, try to keep my car half clean, you know, but uh, don't worry about my personal space. That's my mess to deal with, not yours. But other than that, you know, I, I I like to do those things, but I hate chores. I hate chores. I don't mind washing the dishes should the Lord speak to me from on high and say, you know, it would be really good, Carla, put some headphones in, get in there and wash the dishes. I would love to do that, wipe the counter. But as soon as it becomes a chore, game over. I don't feel like dealing with it. Who wants to take out the trash? No one wants to take out the trash. We we do it. Who gets excited picking up uh, stuff. There's an old romantic comedy movie called The Breakup with Vince Vaughn and Jennifer Aniston. And, and there's a scene where they're in their kitchen in the, in the beginning of the movie. It's one of my favorite scenes of all movie scenes because it's so real and true to life. He's being a slob laying around. He wants to relax and watch TV. She wants him to pitch in and help. So he gets up and starts doing what she asked them to do. And, and there's a great line there. Um, she, she tells him, I want you to want to do the dishes. And his response is awesome. Why would I want to do the dishes, right? She's mad that he doesn't want to do it. He doesn't have the desire to do it. It's not enough that he's helping with the chore. No, I want you to want to help. And man, that just speaks to me like a love language on the deepest level of my soul. Why would I want to do that? Isn't it enough that I'm doing the work. When Jamie and I first got married, I'd get super motivated and want to surprise her with all these grand gestures. And I'm going to clean the house and she's going to the, gr- the grocery store. And so I'm going to clean up the bedroom and make sure everything is nice. I want to make sure the child is alive. You know, dads, we can play with the kid, but to actually take care of the kid, like that's dangerous, but I'm going to do all that stuff while she's at the store. She's going to come home to an immaculate. And as she's walking out the door, she'll say something like, Hey, could you straighten up a little bit while I'm gone? and it just sucks the wind out of me. I'm like, well, not anymore. Like I wanted to do it until you asked me to do it. Now it's a chore. And no, I'm not doing a chore, right? Before you asked me to do it, I wanted to do it. But just the nature that you asked it of me changes the game. Anyone can, can you man, don't leave me hanging out here. I know. So thank you. I know, I know some of my brothers are, are rightfully being quiet because I see your wives next to you. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's a chore. What? I have grown up in church. I'm the kid literally born and raised going to church a long time. I know pastor Chris has a similar story in that he came up in church a long time. That doesn't mean I lived for Jesus that time. Don't get it twisted. I'm just telling you, I've been around church folks and in church for a long time. And there was a season in my teens where I was a Jesus freak, like Bible thumping. Like I was that guy, like preaching to everybody I could. I was passionate, passionate, passionate. About And I loved going to small group, loved going to church. If I could be a church or doing something churchy seven days a week when I was about 16 years old, 17 years old, like that was just heaven to me to do that. And then all of a sudden my heart shifted and it became work and it became an obligation. And all of a sudden I get to go to that thing became I have to go to that thing. And my heart shifted and I disconnected completely for a season where I didn't stop believing in God, but I just really didn't want anything to do with him or with his people. And he wasn't the problem. My heart was the problem because I shifted from a I get to attitude to a I have to attitude. And that's a dangerous thing when that happens. Have have you been there, that slippery slope? You want to serve, but, oh, it's an obligation. I don't want to do it, right? Think about a parent. uh, If you have little ones, you know, little ones get sick. No parent says, hey, Siri, remind me at 2.45 a.m. to wake up and clean up the vomit, right? We don't plan on that. But when it happens, we get up and we do it. Not out of obligation, but because we, I hope, love our kids. And we want to serve them. We want to take care of them. And so we do it because it's what we do. Our love motivates us to do it. So I get to serve. So devotion moves us from a have-to to to a get-to mindset. So that's why at OneChurch.tv we believe that saved people serve people. save people. In view of everything God has done for us, we now get to serve others. Starting here in this local church— one church, and then in our families, of course, and in our community, and spreading out to the whole world. But starting at the closest place we are, we believe that saved people serve people. And we believe that because of what Jesus teaches in the gospel. This is not going to be on the screen, but in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 through 45, Jesus is sitting talking to his disciples, and he says to them, listen, I'll paraphrase. He says, the leaders of this world, they lord their authority over each other. Basically, they boss each other around, but that's not how it should be amongst you. Instead, whichever one of you wants to be great, you need to be least. You need to be servant of all because the son of man, that's Jesus. He says, I came not to serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give my life away as a ransom for many. So we believe save people, serve people, because that's what Jesus did. That's who Jesus was. We believe the church doesn't exist for us. We're the church and we exist for the world. So, we're not called to just be spiritual consumers, but we're to be spiritual contributors serving everywhere. So, even here at One Church, we have a culture that has a healthy expectation of every single person who calls One Church their home. We have this healthy expectation as a culture that you serve. Starting here in our local church, moving into the community of Clarksville, obviously, as much as we can serve around the world. That's our posture because saved people do what? Serve people save people, serve people. And here's what's awesome. That's the least we can do because of all that God has done for us. The least we can do is serve others. God works in us and through us to bring hope and healing when we serve. In fact, that leads us to our big idea today. When we do what we know to do, Jesus will do what only he can do. When we do what we know to do. So what do we know to do? We know that we're supposed to serve. So when we do what we know to do, Jesus steps in and does what only he can do. And what can only Jesus do? Change hearts, change lives, save people. It's a great combination. So we're going to look at a story in Matthew 14. It may be familiar to you if you've been around church, heard church Bible stories before. Uh, We're going to look at it from a slightly different angle, but I think it connects to this big idea. It's in Matthew 14. I'm going to start reading in verse 13. And it says this, Now when Jesus heard this, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. But when the crowds heard it, they followed him on foot from other towns. What we learn right away is that it's never convenient to serve. It's never convenient to serve. What did Jesus just hear? It says when Jesus heard this, what did he just hear? Well, his cousin, a guy named John, we know of him now as John the Baptist. John had just been murdered. He'd just been executed by the king. John spoke truth to power, and power arrested him and cut off his head. So Jesus, who speaks truth to power, hears this story, finds out his cousin has been killed, and Jesus goes off by himself. He heard this, so he withdrew, the Bible says, to be by himself. He he wanted to get away. Why? I'm assuming to process what he just heard, right? To deal with the weight, the sadness, probably to pray, probably to ask for more courage and strength, because again... John spoke truth to power. It cost him his head. I speak truth to power, and it's not my time to go yet. Help me to be whatever. I don't want to put words into his mouth of what he prayed, but I know he went to get away, just like you and I would have done, right? We would have tried to escape. But verse 14 says, When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. So Jesus is trying to get away, get some me time, and who's there waiting for him when he gets ashore needy people needy people parents of toddlers you know this situation right i just need to use the bathroom because that's what humans have to do from time to time i'm going to go into the bathroom shut the door oh some quiet time some me time and no soon as you do you begin to do what you do in the bathroom there's someone knocking mom mom Out of the tub jumps your cat or your dog who was just waiting for you because they they knew you, they could sense that you were going to go try to be alone and they can't have that, God forbid, right? Next thing you know, you got an audience and you're just trying to be in your throne room alone, right? You know what I'm talking about? You're just trying to be alone. And here's all these needy people. You just want to get away. I just want some space. And all of a sudden, the need shows up. It's never convenient to serve. I would argue that if it's convenient, it's actually not service. You're just doing what you want to do. There's not really sacrifice if it doesn't cost me anything, right? If it doesn't cost me my time, if it doesn't cost me my comfort, if it doesn't cost me my idea of what's right in the moment, it's not really an offering. It's not really a sacrifice. It's not really an act of service. And so Jesus is inconvenienced. He's trying to mourn and and get away and pray, and all of these people, here's a huge interruption. But see, it's inconvenient not just in the time sense. Service is inconvenient to our sensibilities it often shows up opportunities to serve often show up in messy ways that we not re- we may not really want to deal with a uh, years ago i was outside of our worship space and started a conversation with a guy who was out there started talking about church great conversation and he shared with me that he was new in town and that he'd been looking for a church home. And, and anytime someone says that to me, I kind of press in a little bit because I, I'm friends with a lot of pastors here in Clarksville. I know a lot of churches here in Clarksville. So I'm always curious about people's experience and where did you go and, and all of that. And, of course, by the end of the conversation, I found out that two, I'm new in town translates into, well, I've actually been here two years. And I've been looking at a bunch of churches translated into, well, I actually just went to one with one friend. And so we finally got through all the fluff. And and then I, okay, what happened? So he tells me, look, I went to church with my friend and I felt like God was speaking to me through the sermon and the people seemed pretty nice and it was a good environment. It was okay. He didn't use the word environment. Only church people say environment, by the way, like that. So he, he said it was it was a good good work good service, good experience, and I had a good time. And and, and then he said at the end they, they brought out microphone stands like 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 we have here and they're like, uh it's time for testimony time. Of course, he's like, what in the world is testimony time? Any of you guys have been a familiar, been on been testimony service, know what testimony time is? For those of you who haven't raised your hand, I wish I was you. Because I I wish I could unexperience some of those testimony experiences, right? People get up, and then basically you can say whatever you want to say just share what's on your heart. Just tell us what God is saying to you. So someone gets up to the mic, you know, first of all, giving an honor and glory to God, the father creator of heaven and earth maker of all things, pastor, bishop, his wife my baby cousin's mama, like, we just get up. Yeah, I want to thank God for being so, and then they go into all the adjectives of why God is so good and so awesome, and about 30 minutes into it, they might say, you know, my car broke down, but Jesus, I found a bus token, and thank God that he's always on time, and my God shall supply all your need, and it's a whole other, and people get into it. I, I'm, I'm being light-hearted. I'm really not exaggerating much. Some of y'all have been in those churches. You know, I'm, I'm right in the sweet spot of a testimony time, right? So imagine you're brand new to church. It's your first time ever. And that's the service that you're in. And they all turn to you, say, new guest, stand up and testify. Tell us what's on your heart. Tell us what God has done for you, right? Relax, new folks. We're not going to do that to you. Uh, some of y'all clenched up mighty tight. Relax, relax. We're not going to do that to you. So so, so anyway, they, they, he gets on the mic. He's nervous. What do I say? What do I They're just, brothers, just tell us what's on your heart just tell us what's on the inside, let it out. And he's like, let it out. All right, say no more, right? So he's like, hold my beer, I'm gonna let it out, right? And he begins to just tell him, you know, I've been fighting these demons, man, and these effing women, they just, they hound me, you know, but God is good. And and man, this MF and church was just just what I needed. And thank God, he's so awesome, you know, and just, he just let out what was inside of him, right? He, he said, he told me, he said, Carlo, I left that church feeling free. I left that church. Isn't that awesome? Someone could go to church and leave feeling free. Jesus for freedom, Christ died to set us free. That's awesome. Here's the problem. He gets in the car and his friend proceeds to go off on him for cussing in church. His friend basically cusses him out for cussing in church. And and this gentleman I was talking to, he shared with me just one of the most heartbreaking things I've ever heard from someone about their church experience. He said, I don't understand it didn't make sense why these church folks would tell me to come just as I am and to let it all out and to share my heart and then make me feel judged and small for doing the same thing they just told me to do. Why would they tell me they were here to serve me and then be put off by my need? The point of that is this. If, if we say we want to reach people far from God, if we say that everyone is welcome, we better mean it. Because everyone's going to show up. And here's what happens when everyone shows up. It's not going to be convenient. That's what's going to happen. If we say, I want to serve people like Jesus, that means someone's going to cuss around your kids. And you're going to have to get over it. Because if they're part of Clarksville, Montgomery County School System, they did already heard it anyway. Real talk. Real talk. But they're only in second grade. Trust me. Even in the second grade. They would already seen it. They have already heard it it's going to be inconvenient, right? You tell someone, hey, I'm here for you. They're going to text you at 1155 when you're just falling asleep. Call me anytime. Don't lie to people. You say that, they're going to do that. Hey, guys, I love you. Don't call me anytime, okay? Right? I'm always there for you, but not really. Right? No, no, you know what I'm saying. Of course. There's boundaries, right? But, but this guy, you guys know I'm joking, but this guy, he... Re- He was shocked by that. It's Jesus responded to inconvenience in the most beautiful way. Do you know how he responded to inconvenience? Compassion. It says that Jesus saw the crowd, had compassion on them, and he healed them. He served them. His reflex to, I'm just trying to get away, was to serve more. He responded with compassion because compassion is a force multiplier. Compassion is a force multiplier. Look at verse 15. Now, when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the day is now over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. Powerful. A force multiplier is simply a thing that makes a thing a better thing. That's a force multiplier. That's as, as layman's like, basic definition of that. Talk to me afterwards if you want the real military or psychological or leadership definition of that. I'll talk to you for 4 hours about force multipliers, but I didn't got that kind of time. It's the thing that makes the thing a better thing, right? The battery that powers the microphone that projects my voice, force force multipliers. You with me? All right. So, compassion does that. Compassion moves us from just feeling about something towards action. In fact, passion without compassion leads to fanaticism. It's what a famous evangelist from, 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 from Africa says, I love that quote. Compassion moves me towards actually doing something. We live in a messed up world and everyone's hurting and broken, right? From Puerto Rico to Las Vegas to, to hurricanes, there's storms beating our country up even right now. And we see so much need, we can almost become overwhelmed to the point of inactivity where we don't do anything at all. But compassion pushes us towards movement. Have you ever heard the story of the Good Samaritan? Say yes, if you've heard it. All right, some of y'all lied, but it's okay. Uh, I it was peer pressure. I shouldn't have done that to you. Uh, good Samaritan story. I'm going to assume we've all we've all heard it before. Uh, here's the good psychologist. Ready? Good psychologist story. It sounds like the Good Samaritan. A man is walking along the street and he's brutally beaten and he's robbed, and he's left dead and bleeding, left left to die. He's unconscious. He's bleeding. And while he's there, a security guard passes by and sees him bleeding, and he walks to the other side of the street and he ignores him little later on, a Boy Scout troop sees the man bleeding, and they cross the street and walk to the other side. And then a pastor sees the man bleeding, and he crosses, and they leave him there, walk to the other side. This keeps happening. Finally, the good psychologist walks by, and he runs up to the man, and he sees him bleeding, and he bends down and says, My God, whoever did this really needs help. The moral of the story is in your compassion don't forget to actually help someone in your compassion it's not enough to say man they sure need help would you look at this problem or worse don't be the good psychologist and diagnose the wrong thing right do something Jesus felt compassion and it moved him if you ever wonder what Jesus think feels when he sees people who are hurting who are far from him think about the person you can't stand the most right now get them in your brain don't nudge him if they're next to you that'll be awkward but Think about the person. The, if there was a person on planet Earth right now, you'd say, I sure wish they weren't around. Get that person in your brain. Now, when Jesus sees that person, he has compassion. He loves them. Is that awkward for you, uncomfortable? Good, I'm glad. That's what That was the point of that exercise. I want you to squirm a little bit. The person you feel the most hate for, that's the person Jesus looks at. And he has compassion. And that compassion moves Action. Jesus said, You give them something to eat. The disciples, they saw the people and they were freaked that, Hey, there's too many people here. It's overwhelming. We can't deal with them. Send these people away so we can take care of ourselves, our own needs. And Jesus said, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Compassion. Why do we struggle to respond to compassion? Why do we struggle to turn compassion into action? I believe it's because there's a million good reasons not to serve. There's a million good, quote unquote, reasons not to serve. We can come up with a reason to not do the thing that God has called us to do all of the time. Verse 17, here was their reason. They said to him, we only have five loaves here and two fish. So there's thousands of people. They're hungry. Jesus says, you give them something to eat. And their initial response is, we don't have enough. We only have five loaves here and two fish. See, the person who really wants to do something, they will find a way. The other person will find an excuse. And if you look for an excuse, you'll find it every time. If you really want to get something done, you'll find a way to get that thing done. I would love to cut the the apostles some slack here, you know. I would love to, oh, these poor guys, you know. After all, some of us don't know what we're going to eat for lunch today, right? Some of us, we don't even know what we're going to do. I would love to cut them some slack. But these loaves and fishes, it's a powerful powerful thing that happened. Just two pieces of, or five pieces of bread, two fish. How are they going to feed all these people? They were called to do the work and they said, we can't do it. We don't have enough. But here's the thing. When you read this text, Matthew 14, in its original context, these same people who said, we don't have enough, how are we going to do it? They watched Jesus turn water into wine. They saw him heal countless numbers of people, including that very day He did miracles in that crowd. They saw it. One day, Jesus was taking a nap on a boat, and it started storming, and the apostles were crying. They thought they were going to die, and Jesus got up from his nap, and he looked at the storm and said, Shut up! And the wind stopped. He didn't say, Shut up. Stay with me. He said, Be quiet. Peace be still. But shut up. Sounds better. Shut up! And the storm quieted, and these same apostles, they saw that. Of the 37 recorded miracles in the Gospels, 18 of them happened Before Jesus said, you give them something to eat. That's powerful. Of the 37 recorded miracles, 18 of them had already happened before they're faced with five loaves, two fish. And these guys had the nerve to say, how are we going to do this, Jesus? I mean, we know you just raised that little boy from the dead and we saw you raise that little girl from the dead. But how are we going to do this? they were limited in their thinking. They were limited in their faith because they forgot who was with them. So they ran towards a million good reasons not to serve. I don't have the time. I don't have the energy. I can't do it. I don't have the voice. I don't have the skill. That sound familiar? I know it does because that's what some of you have told me of why you can't do something God's called you to do. A million good reasons. But when we remember who empowers us, when we remember who our source is, it cuts through our motive. It cuts through all of that fluff. I've been blessed to serve on the board of directors of Mana Cafe Ministries for years. Manna Cafe has been in existence about seven and a half years. I've been able to serve with Manna about five and a half, six of those years as a board of directors member. Mana Cafe, if you don't know, is a food uh, ministry here in our town that distributes 1.5 million pounds of food a year in clarksville and in our area to people who are hungry and rescues a million pounds of food a year from grocery stores that you and i shop at from schools from places where people would discard food panera bread if you ever wonder where all the panera's extra bread goes to places like Mana cafe come and rescue it know what i'm saying they come and rescue it panera doesn't say you want this bread we go to panera and say give us that bread don't throw it away so we distribute that do great works there's all kinds of opportunities but do you know Mana cafe's two biggest needs what do you think they are yeah, people, people and money. Money pays for the trucks. Money pays gas. You guys get how that works, right? We're all adults. You need money. But people, not food. God provides food. It's awesome. That's why it's called manna. Manna means bread from heaven, right? Well, Actually, manna means what is it? <laughs> There's a question that was asked, what is it, in, in reference to bread from heaven that God gave. But my point is this. People don't serve manna like we would love them to serve because they're limited in their thinking. They want to serve on this side of the table, slopping collard greens into that guy's plate. Us, them. Nice little buffer. You might say, Carlo, you're judging their motive. I don't care. God will deal with me if I'm judging their motive. I'm just calling it like I see it. Because our biggest need is for people to get on the other side of the table and get a plate of food and sit down with our manna people, our clients, and eat with them. Didn't Pastor Chris just tell us we're better together? Didn't he just say life change happens in community? So why is this person in line at a mobile soup kitchen, a Cafe, having to get a meal? Probably have something going on in their life that they need changed. Yes? Life change happens in community. You, who've got it all together, you, who've got it all perfect, you might be the catalyst to their life change by sitting down and sharing a meal with them. It's the biggest need we have at manna. We tell people all the time, do you want your small group to serve manna? Come on Tuesday, get in line and eat with us. Life change. Oh, we don't want to take food from the hungry people. Fool, didn't you just hear us say we have enough food? The food isn't the problem. Our attitudes are the problem. Our excuses are the problem. There's a million good reasons. You know what else people don't want to do? Wash dishes. We serve hundreds of hot meals a week. And the biggest need we have are people who at 8 o'clock will go back to the manor house and wash dishes. But when you wash dishes, no one sees you. When you wash dishes, it's just you by yourself. Them, those people aren't there to experience your generosity. It doesn't feel like real service. So we don't do it. And it's a great need that we have all the time but we make excuses of why we can't serve. We put limitations. Why do we do that? Let me bring it back full circle. Why do we do that? Because we think we're the source. That's not enough. Well, washing dishes isn't really ministry to the hungry. Putting collard greens on their plate, that's ministry to the hungry. Like, don't you see the connection? Someone's got to wash the dishes, right? Why not you? We don't want people to be dependent on coming and getting free meals, right? We want them to be able to grow and and prosper and develop, and we want whatever situation has them in that mess. We want them to get out of that mess, and we already know the secret, church folks. You know the secret is community. Maybe they just need a friend. They don't need another person to tell them to get a job. They don't need another person to tell them how to manage their money. They need a friend who'll do life with them. And that's the way it starts. But there's a million reasons not to serve. There are a million good reasons not to serve. But check it out. When we give Jesus what we do have, he changes lives. When we give Jesus what we do have, he changes lives every time. And what do we all have? Time. 168 hours a week. 24 hours a day. Now, none of us is promised the next breath, but that's a God issue. But while the day is called today, we all have at least time that we can give, attention that we can give, compassion that we can give. Look at verse 18. It says, and, and he said, Jesus said to them, bring them here to me. So bring me the loaves and the fish. And then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and they gave them to the crowds and they all ate and were what? Satisfied. They all ate and were satisfied, and they took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces left over, and those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. So that's about 15,000 people who ate more than they could have ever eaten. They were satisfied because someone took what they had and put it in the hands of the only one who can really change something, and that's Jesus. What if you took what you have, your time, your gift, your ability, I love that we have a small group that's about making crafts. Someone is going to hear about Jesus and grow in community and know that there's a God that loves them because a bunch of people get in a room and paint stuff. That ain't my cup of tea, but I love you for doing it. Just don't ask me to come. Thank you. Um, It's awesome that that group exists, right? Life change happening because someone took what they do have. I can't preach. I can't teach. I might not be eloquent, but I know how to do this. I'm going to use this gift to serve other people, save people, serve people. This miracle of the feeding of the multitudes, it's recorded in all four Gospels. That's a flag for us as we're studying the Bible, right? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John all saw fit to incorporate this in their Gospel because it stresses Jesus' power to create. It stresses the power of compassion, and it stresses how the disciples are an integral part To minister to the multitudes as representatives of Jesus. You give them something to eat. He does the miracle, but we have to do what we know to do. So we have a culture that's full of a bunch of people in need. We know that. And we've been duped into thinking that sharing something on social media is actually helping. It's actually making a difference. We think, well, I shared pray for Las Vegas, so I'm good, right? Did you actually pray for Las Vegas, the researcher in me wants to do that study so bad. Longitudinal study. How many people who share, pray for this? How many people who change their profile picture to the flag of whatever country suffering are actually doing something to change? I already know the answer, but I want to quantify it. Most of us don't. I love Jesus and I love to pray. And even I have to use an app on my phone to remind me to pray. I tell my small group all the time, hey, if you ever ask me to pray for something, don't be nervous when I say, let's pray right now. I'm not spiritual. I just don't want to be a liar and forget. If you see me mumbling, walking down the hall, I'm probably praying for someone I just talked to because I don't want to be a liar and forget. So I'm letting you off the hook. I'm telling you, if I do this for a living and even I have to be reminded, please don't make me think, don't, don't, don't try to put on the facade that you're actually about change. You're just changing pictures. You're just changing statuses. But are you really doing something? When I'm compassionate though, it moves me towards action. Because while we're busy sharing on Instagram and posting about how evil the world is on Facebook, guess what? People are still going hungry. Widows and orphans are still suffering. Humans are still being sold into slavery around this planet. The unborn and the born are still dying in unjust ways. Evil wins battles while we're talking about it and not doing anything. So instead of doing that, what if we just actually had some compassion and put it into action? Sign up to volunteer to serve at somewhere like Mana Cafe. Ask us today at the Next Steps table. Go see Pastor Luther and ask him, how can I help impact widows and orphans in a positive way? He'll tell you to bring love in, how you could do that. Come see me. I could tell you how we can get in the game and, and make a change when it comes to human trafficking and slavery and all of that stuff, how we can help people who are hurting. We can pray. We can live. We can love like Christ every day. You might hear that and be overwhelmed. Like, dude, that's too much. If that's too much... If that's too big of a picture, man, you're talking about saving widows. I can't even, I can't even save money, man. You're talking about saving, saving the world. Let me make it very easy for you. We believe, Pastor Chris and I and everyone on our staff, we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior, King of the universe. And we believe that he has created and blessed the world with the local church. And we believe that the local church is the hope of the world. So you want to change the world? Start in the local church. That's why our first step after we say yes to Jesus, we get back. Our first step is to join a team here and serve here because save people, serve people. Yes, you can sponsor a child through Compassion International. Yes, you can do all that stuff, but you can actually take a simple step to start serving right here at One Church. It's very easy. Go to the next steps table on your way out, fill out one of those cards, check all the blocks if you need to, and we'll help you make that step to join that team. Seriously, are, do you, if your kids are blessed through our, our kids' environments, Wonderland, One Way Street, you should be serving in one of those environments in some way. If you like the person who smiled and said hello to you when you came in, go be a part of those people. If you want to work behind the scenes, don't want anyone to, we've got a bunch of stuff, whether it's set up, tear down, working in media. It's not just running a camera, right? Every Almost every week we hear stories of people around the country, sometimes across overseas who God spoke to and changed because someone's running a camera so we can broadcast this ministry everywhere. Isn't that awesome? Lives being changed because someone's up in the back cave right now, pressing buttons. It's not just pressing buttons. The limiting belief is God can't use me. It's just a button. And God say, no, you feed them. He's going to do the miracle. And we've even simplified it more. We have three services. So you can actually come and sit and worship in one service and serve in another. Or some people who are awesome volunteers, they serve in two and come to one. Either way, right here, every Sunday, there's an opportunity where you can start taking a posture of service. Wednesday night with our student ministry, you can talk to Pastor Dave. There's other opportunities to serve. Here's the thing. When I serve in my local church, it helps me develop that servant muscle. Then when it comes time to these big, I want to help change the world kind of things, you're already in shape because you're serving because you're doing something. How do we live this all out? I'm, I'm done after this. How do we live it out? We need to ask God to break our heart for the things that break his heart. That's compassion. God, what makes you mad? What makes you sad? God, what touches you in a deep way? I want to be concerned about the things that God's concerned about through prayer. It's going to give me that heart of compassion. Then I want to live in faith. I want to make war on excuses. Make war on excuses. I don't want to limit God. I want to find a way to do what God's calling me to do. And then I want to place my gifts in Jesus's hands by serving today, by starting today. I don't want to leave this place without making sure that there is something about my life. Starting in my local church, that means I call one church my church. I serve somewhere in some capacity here, and then I want to help change the world by changing my circle. Save people, serve people. And when we do what we know to do, Jesus will always do what only he can do. Would you stand with me? Let's pray. God, thank you for your power. Thank you for The gift of the spirit that you give us, the gift of the church that you give us, you don't call us to anything, God, without equipping us to live it out. So I thank you so much for calling us to you, calling us to one church and giving us this great mission of reaching people far from you. God, if there's a person in this room who's not walking with you right now, I pray right where they're at, they would say, Lord Jesus, forgive me. I've tried to do it on my own. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you came and lived and died for me. Forgive me and help me to live for you. I'm saying yes to you today. And I know as they do that, God, you save them. God, for the people here who do live for you and love you, give us all a new boldness to be people who are compassionate to those far from you, to serve others, not because we have to, but because we get to. It's a privilege to live for you and to love others in your name. So as we leave, as we go about our business today and this week, we know it's gonna be inconvenient. Help us to rejoice in those holy interruptions, God, when you're giving us opportunities to, to serve. And we'll be thankful to always praise you and give you the glory for changing lives. In the strong name of Jesus, amen.